painful. Sorry, that's not a very positive way to start off, is it? Life is painful. Doesn't make it much better, does it? But, but sometimes we want to sugarcoat it and pretend that everything is okay, whether it is or not. But sometimes it's okay to just say that things are not okay. Several years ago, I had surgery on my ear. And when they were done, you know, they put everything back together. They put, I don't know, packing peanuts in there or whatever to make sure everything stays where it's supposed to stay. And when it's, when it's time for me to go, the nurses talk to me and they tell me that, that if you sneeze, you're supposed to do it with your mouth wide open, which is the opposite of what we as a society are taught to do, right? We try to cover it up, we try to close it up and, and do that, right? So they tell me, though, if you sneeze, to do it with your, with your mouth wide open, well, the next day, because, you know, I was loopy or whatever, the next day I forgot that bit of advice. And then I had a sneeze come on, and as, as I would typically do, I tried to close it up. And as I did so, I closed my mouth on that sneeze. And I kid you not, you're going to think I'm exaggerating, but it felt like my skull was just trying to go five different directions. And it was literally the most, uh, the, the worst pain that I have felt physically in my life. And if I were honest in that moment about how I was doing, I was not okay. Um, and, and, the, and there was nothing good about that. But from that, I learned a valuable lesson about listening to nurses. So hooray for all you nurses in here today. But, but plus I survived it. But here's the deal, guys. Life is painful, physically sometimes, emotionally sometimes, but, but I have a promise for you. God will be there for you and with you when you're hurting. And God will use your hurts to make you into who you're meant to be. We've been talking about Esther for the past couple of weeks, and the first week we looked at how God used a king who shouldn't have been king so that king would select Esther as his queen. And last week we talked about Mordecai, a man who wasn't actually Esther's father, but after her parents died, he took her in. And how God placed his positive influence in her life to help prepare her for God's purpose for her. So today we're shifting our focus to, to a guy named Haman. In fact, here is our introduction to Haman. It's in Esther chapter 3. It says, after these events, and these events are the ones we discussed last week. You know, some guys were planning an assassination attempt on King Xerxes. Mordecai reported it, and they were able to stop it. So after that, King Xerxes kind of beefs up his, his uh, security. So after that, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. So last week, Zach mentioned that the more he reads about Mordecai, the more he wants to be like him. Haman is the opposite of that. As we look at this guy, we're going to see that this is not a good guy. This is a terrible guy who wants to do terrible things. But we're keeping Romans 8.28 in mind as we go through this series because it tells us that God is working all things 
together for good. Does that mean even the bad things? Does that mean even the hurtful things? Yes, all things God is working them together for good. And, and God gave us the book of Esther so we can know that the same God who worked in the life of Esther is working in our lives as well. So when we go through painful times, that can be the most difficult verse in the Bible to believe. You know, because we wonder how could God allow the pain that we're feeling in that moment? And that's why God gave us Romans 8.29 as kind of a, an explanation of that. And it tells us this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, God has this ultimate goal for all of us as believers. God is making us more like his son and because God is making us more like his son, he never wastes pain. Pain is going to come into our lives because we live in a broken world. And if you're hurting today, whether physically or emotionally, then know that God sees you. And he cares that you're hurting. He cares about what you're going through. And he will use this negative time that you're going through to help you grow. But as we turn our focus towards our study in Esther, and specifically to this guy named Haman, I want to tell you about this elderly lady I heard about. Every morning, this elderly lady would go out on her porch, and, and she would praise God and thank him for all the blessings in her life. But her neighbor was an atheist. And when she would go out and thank God, then the atheist would come out on his porch, and he'd yell, there is no God. One day... The little old lady had no money, no food, and she went out on, on her porch and she said, Help me, Lord, I have no money and I have no food and it's cold and I just, I just need you to intervene in my life. So the next morning she went outside and there were three bags of groceries on her porch. And so she starts saying, Thank you, God, for providing what I needed. Just then the atheist neighbor jumps out of the bushes and he says, Haha, ha, I bought those groceries. There is no God. And the lady raises her arm to heaven and she says, Thank you, God. You provided for my need and you even made the devil pay for it. <laughs> We're going to see the same kind of thing today with Haman. God is able to accomplish his will even when bad people enter the picture. We're looking at Esther on two levels. On the one level, even though God is never mentioned in Esther, we're seeing that God is still at work. So when we have hurts and when bad people do bad things to us and we wonder, where is God? Then, then we can cling to this as our example. But on the other level, we're focusing on the people in this story to see what we can apply to our own lives. So in the case of Haman, we're going to look at some of the things that, that we may need to put away from ourselves. Some of the things that we may need to get rid of. So if you have something in your life that you know is dragging you down and making you feel like you are less than you should be, then let's dig in. So we've already seen that Xerxes has, er, has placed Haman as second in his kingdom. And everyone bows to honor him whenever he comes in, whenever he goes out. 
Everybody except Mordecai. Other guys in the area, they talk to Mordecai and they try to get him to bow down, but he refuses to bow down and honor Haman like that. And then we get to Haman's response in, in Esther 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So the first thing that we notice about Haman and the first thing that we want to send away from our lives is an unruly temper. All right. So we, we, we don't want to have an unruly temper. And when I say unruly temper, I mean that because there are valid reasons for us to get angry. Right? But the quickest way for you to determine if your anger is justified is to ask, ask yourself this question. What is my anger motivating in me? If your anger makes you want to stand up for someone who's being bullied, someone who's being hurt, then that's probably the right kind of anger. Keep in mind, though, that even when there is a good reason and a valid reason for anger, a lot of times that may be a great opportunity for you to practice forgiveness. You know, we said God is making us more like his son and Learning forgiveness is a good step in that direction, right? So much of the time, though, our anger doesn't result in positive choices. A lot of times, we're angry just because something didn't go how we liked. And sometimes we use the term, I lost my temper, or he or she lost their temper. And if I witnessed it happen, I want to say, oh, well, I found it. It was all over you the whole time. Your, your body language has some of your temper in it, and your face changed colors. I think that might have been a little bit of your temper. And your temper was coming out of your mouth very loudly. So I'm not sure that many people have an issue with losing their tempers. I think the problems occur when we find our tempers. That's when we have problems. So we make excuses like, that's just how I was raised, that's just who I am. Or something like that. But where are you getting by holding on to that? What is that doing to your relationship with your children? What is that doing to your relationship with your spouse when you find that temper? What is that doing to your relationships with your friends and other people in your lives when you find your temper? We should take anger very seriously because God does. The Bible warns us against where the wrong kind of anger leads to because unchecked, out-of-control anger opens the door to sinful living. So if your temper is out of control, if you're living with constant anger and bitterness, then you should tell that anger to just get away from you. Just say, I don't have room for you in my life and I need you to get away because that is no way to live. The next thing we see about Haman that we want to put away from our lives is his pride. So Mordecai declines the invitation to bow. And Haman sees that as a situation where he's saying, 
How dare you? Do you not know who in the world I am? And Haman runs to King Xerxes, and he doesn't bring the charge just against Mordecai. But he realizes that Mordecai is Jewish. So he comes to Xerxes with a plan. And here's what Esther 3, 8, and 9 tells us. It says, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So pride is dangerous because prideful people can be spiteful people. Pride causes us to seek ourselves, and it causes us to seek what we want. C.S. Lewis said this, Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. Hopefully none of you have tried to instigate genocide because of wounded pride like Haman did. But a lot of us can behave very poorly when we feel insulted. So here's something that you can definitely take hold of for the next time you're watching the news or you're scrolling through your social media and you encounter something you don't agree with. Not everything you disagree with is a personal insult. You don't have to be offended by everything you don't agree with. Feel free to take a picture of that because our world does not know that's true. A lot of Christians don't seem to realize that that's a bit of truth there. But here's the deal, guys. God called us to be in the world, but not of the world. And in our world today, somebody is offended by something new on a daily basis, right? We see it all the time. Somebody is offended about something every day. And Christ came so that we could be set free from the world. We don't have to be bound by the frustrations of being offended by those we disagree with. We can't expect non-Christians to behave like Christians. It's, it's great to talk about, about your faith. You know, we have Christ, many do not, and they need him. But understand that God is big enough that he is not relying on you to get mad when non-believers behave like non-believers. But guys, if somebody fails to bow to you, or if they forget your birthday, or they don't have the same political views as you on a particular topic or whatever it is, you don't always have to take personal offense to what somebody says, okay? There's this concept called Hanlon's Razor. And we would all do well to keep this in mind when it comes to the idea of hurt pride and injured feelings. And it says this, Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. All right? Mordecai didn't have an issue with Haman at this point in time. For Mordecai, this was an issue of this kind of reverence, me bowing my knee. That is reserved for God Almighty, God in heaven. But Haman 
made no attempt to understand that. He was all about himself. So he made an assumption that Mordecai was intentionally insulting him. He didn't even try to understand that there might be something different going on. So some of you are into rules, okay? You, you see a button that says, do not push, and you say, okay, I'm not going to push that button. Some of you are not into rules, okay? And you see that button that says, do not push, and you say, okay, let's see what happens, right? On my second day with Holly, we went to Johnson City, and, and we go into the Johnson City Mall, and they have, like, this, this autom automobile show. And they have, you know, some cars and some motorcycles, and a lot of them have ropes all around them, and they have signs on them that say, do not touch. I wouldn't have wanted to touch them if there hadn't been the signs. But because I saw the signs that said, do not touch, I wanted to touch as many of those as I could. Okay? That, that's just, that's how I work. And some of you have a little bit of a rebellious heart like that, and, and you can totally understand. Some of you don't want to touch when you see the sign, and that's okay too. But here's the deal. I'm pretty good when I understand the reason for a rule. If I'm driving through a parking lot and it has arrows saying go this way down this lane, go this other way down the other lane, I'm like, okay, I get that rule. We don't want to have collisions. We want everybody to be able to get through the parking lot safely. And when I'm going with the arrows and suddenly I'm face-to-face -face with somebody who is going against the arrows, I find that off-putting. Because, you know, it makes it very difficult on everyone, right? But truthfully... For the most part, it's inconsiderate, right? Nobody is just setting out saying, I would like to get in a head-on collision in the Walmart parking lot today. So it's not done in a mean-spirited way. When someone hurts you or annoys you through being inconsiderate, it's okay for you to say, you know what, that didn't make me feel good, but I am going to go ahead and move on because this person probably didn't even know that the world revolves around me. So, so what Haman does, <coughs> excuse me, as a result of his anger and his hurt pride is evil. So let's take our pride and do just like we did with our unruly temper and say, get away from me. When someone says something to you and it rubs you the wrong way, just take a moment to consider where they're coming from. It's okay to ask, has this person said or done something that is mean-spirited or hurtful? Or am I just feeling like my pride has been insulted? So let's take our pride and say, get away from me. So we've parted with our unruly temper. We've parted with our pride. The next thing we see in Haman's life that we don't want any part of is hatred. Here's Haman, and he's given himself over to his anger and his pride, and he is just a miserable guy. And he comes along and he presents his plan to King Xerxes to exterminate the Jewish people. Because one man out of dozens or maybe even hundreds of people would not bow when Haman walked by him. But let me just take him in because Haman is neither the first nor the last person to try something like this against God's people. 
there's a pattern in the Bible and throughout the history, throughout history. And Haman is just, you know, one cog in this machine. So for today, we're, for today, we're going to call this Satan's typical trick. And we're going to look and talk about this briefly because it shows us how seriously we should address any hatred in our lives. First time we see this trick is back in the book of Exodus. Okay, so it says that a Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph, and he sees that the Jewish people, they are, they are prospering and they're growing in number, and he is afraid that, that they're going to conquer his country. Which country is Pharaoh in charge of? Egypt, right? So he's afraid that they are going to come along and take over Egypt. So he declares a law that all the baby boys of Israel, if a child is born, if it's a boy, what do you do? You kill it. But that leads to a guy named Moses being placed in a basket. And then along comes Moses, and he's raised in Pharaoh's house. And ultimately, through Moses, God delivers the Israelites from Egypt. So, so Egypt pays a heavy price for their cruelty to Israel. And then Haman, we're seeing what he did today. You know, he, he goes to King Xerxes and says, let's kill all the Jewish people. Not the first time, not the last time. And we're going to see how that results in his undoing in the coming weeks. Then, in the New Testament, there's a guy named King Herod. So we know the story, you know, the wise men come to worship Jesus. And on their way back, they stop and they see King Herod. And they say, hey man, we just got back from seeing the one who was born the king of the Jews. And Herod says, wait a minute. But, but I'm the king of the Jews. I don't want somebody else being born and saying that is the king of the Jews. So he passes a law. What's that law? Any baby boy that is Jewish under the age of three, we're going to kill them. So not the first time. But where do Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus? Egypt. The same Egypt that 1,500 years before passed a law trying to kill all the little Jewish boys? So... The original place where Pharaoh had done this exact same thing is where God sends Jesus. So, so if you enjoyed the Reflection series, take a look at that picture of Jesus in the Old Testament because that's amazing. But all these attempts were focused on trying to kill as many Jews as possible. So Satan finds out one day, here's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Promised One. What does he do? Comes alongside this guy named Judas in Jesus' inner circle. And he causes him to turn Jesus into the authorities where he's crucified and he's killed. And probably at that point, Satan is thinking, yes, I killed God's son. I stopped his plan. And then you fast forward three days. Satan's phone rings. And he hears what's happened. And he says, what do you mean the tomb's empty? The tomb can't be empty. I saw him die. Suddenly, Satan, out of what he thought was his greatest victory, has been handed his greatest feat, defeat to date. In more recent times, less than 100 years ago, a guy named Adolf Hitler tried something similar, going to kill all the Jews. Not only did he meet a violent end, but as a result of his attempt to destroy the Jews... Israel became its own sovereign nation again for the first time in thousands of years. 
So this is Satan's typical trick, guys, to try and hinder God's plan. And it's all kill, destroy, kill. There's nothing creative about it. But God steps in over and over again as Satan tries to do the same thing. And every time, God takes the victory. So, but Haman's hatred for Mordecai and the Jewish people, it doesn't end there. So here's the thing about hate. And this is why you don't want it in your life. Hate will never lead to satisfaction. When we first met Xerxes in chapter 1 of Esther, he was partying for 187 days. So Esther comes to the king eventually. We'll talk more about that next in a couple weeks, okay? But she says, hey, let's have a get-together, you, me, and Haman. And so Xerxes, he likes to party, so Esther makes this suggestion. Xerxes is all on board. So Haman gets this invite, and he leaves the palace to go home, and he is on top of the world. You know, he's probably skipping and whistling as he leaves the palace. But then he passes by Mordecai. You know that thing where you don't like somebody, and when you see that person... It just makes you mad that they still exist. Just everything that they do, everything that they say, just makes you mad. Like, you know, look at her chewing her gum like she's something special. That kind of thing, right? Haman sees Mordecai on the way home, and that's enough to ruin an otherwise great mood for him. And he gets to his home where he has everything he needs and a lot of what he wants. And he's amongst his wife and his family and his friends. And if you're a positive person and you find yourself in that situation, then you look at that situation and you say, I am living a really good life. But if you're temperamental and if you're prideful and if you're full of hatred, then you aren't going to be able to enjoy your blessings because hatred never satisfies Here's what it tells us starting in Esther 5.11. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him. And how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that, that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. You're not going to like everybody. And everyone isn't going to like you. And that's okay. All right? Some of you need to know that because you get so caught up in trying to make everybody like you. And that's stressful. And not only is it stressful, but it's an unnecessary source of stress in your life. Because it's unattainable. I'm sorry to, to break it to you, but I'm setting you free. You don't have to try to make everybody like you because not everybody is going to. Not everyone's going to like you because each of us are built differently. What's not okay, though, is to have hate in your heart for anyone. And I feel like the word hate gets thrown around a little too easily. Like, I don't like mayonnaise. I've just never been a fan, 
and I don't understand why so many restaurants insist on putting it on otherwise, you know, perfectly good sandwiches and burgers, and sometimes when you ask them to leave it off, they put it on anyway. I just don't dig it, all right? But I don't hate mayonnaise, okay? I'm not going to go into the grocery stores and start knocking it off the shelves so nobody can have mayonnaise. If you have a sandwich and, and it has mayonnaise on it, I promise I'm not going to slap it out of your hand. If you offer me a bite, I will politely decline. But, but I don't have time in my life to have a hatred for that, okay? So, so live your life knowing there are things and people that you're not going to like. But leave hate out of it. Because if you have hate in your life, that's going to eat at you. And that is going to occupy your thoughts. And here's the deal, guys. The space someone occupies in your head is your donation to them. Rather than enjoy all the goodness, all the good things in his life, Haman says, I have so many good things. But for all that, there's that Mordecai, and everything about him makes me just want to punch the wall. Mordecai was living rent-free in a corner of Haman's mind. So if you can think of anyone in your life and you think, I hate them, then you are giving that person an honor you shouldn't want them to have. So if you have hatred in your life, take that and tell it to get away. Tell it that it has no place in your life. Okay, so that's three things we see in Haman that we should say, I have no room for that in my life. And here's the deal. If you're around people like Haman, they may steal joy from your life. But if you are someone like that, then I guarantee that you are stealing joy from your own life. And, you know, I've been in services where a speaker was speaking and maybe what he was talking about wasn't exactly what I was dealing with. But it hit me right where I'm living anyways. So if you're thinking, you know, I don't struggle with, with unruly anger. I don't have a bad temper. My pride's not that bad. I don't hate anyone. I don't hate anything. But I do have something in my life that is driving guilt and shame in me. And I want to tell it to get away. Then you're welcome to this next bit of advice as well. Okay? Because some people, they do need to throw away the things that Haman needed to throw away, that had no business in the life of anybody. But you can also decide to get help with throwing away an addiction or a struggle or gossiping or whatever it is that is in your life that has no business there. You don't want to be done in by your own struggles. So let's talk about what we can do because, let's be honest, it isn't always as simple as writing it on a piece of paper and tossing it away, right? So, I want to talk about some practical suggestions that you can try to implement in your life to toss out some junk. So, the first thing that we want to do is be too busy to sin. Let me explain what I mean. So, let's say that you're trying to stop smoking, and you have a craving for a cigarette, and you sit around for an hour thinking, I don't want to smoke, I don't want to smoke, I don't want to smoke, I don't want to smoke. What's going to end up happening? You're going to smoke, right? The, the thing that, that you've been focused on, you're going to give in to. 
You do not battle by focusing on what you don't want to do. You slowly give in by focusing on what you don't want to do. If you don't want to do something anymore, keep yourself occupied with other things, with better things. Be kind to others. Read your Bible. Help in a Sunday school class. Help in a Wanza. Be too busy to sin. Have too much going in your life that you just don't have time for that temptation. Number two, ask for help. I know that can be intimidating and that can be scary, but I believe there are people in this room with you today who would love to help you carry some of that burden that you're carrying around with you. They'd love to help you lift off some of that weight. And let me just take a moment and say, if, if you're someone in here and someone ever thinks highly enough of you that they come to you and say, I am struggling in this area. Will you pray for me? Will you help coach me? Will you help be there for me as I try to overcome this? Please recognize what a high compliment that is. Recognize that that, that person has put some confidence in you to help them move on past something they're struggling with. And, and treat it accordingly. Give them the confidence they deserve. But um, if you want to talk to someone in the staff of this church about whatever you're struggling with, we're here for you. You can come talk to us. And I know we're talking about things that we want to toss aside, but on the back of, your, of the seat in front of you, there's something that we're not going to toss aside. We have our connection cards. Feel free to fill that out and say, you know, this is an area that I'm struggling with. Would you as a church come along and talk to me and help me through this? That's what we're here for. We would love to get in touch with you. So say get in touch and we'll be happy to get in touch. We're not going to toss this aside like the other things, okay? Number three, seek professional counseling. When we discuss evil, that's not to the exclusion of mental illness, okay? Um, chemical imbalance and evil influence are not opposite explanations for bad actions. I promise you that at no point in history have Satan or any of his demons said, okay, this person is mentally ill, so I'm not going to try to tempt them. Some things in your life may need professional guidance. There's no shame in that. Don't be afraid to seek out the help that you need. Last week, Zach recommended that we ask ourselves, am I a Mordecai? This week we can do something similar and ask, am I a Haman? Hopefully the answer is no, right? But, hope, but, you know, Mordecai is a national hero to the Jewish people even today. The Jews celebrate the bravery of Mordecai and Esther annually in a holiday called Purim. And as part of that celebration, they read the book of Esther. And do you know what they do anytime they get to Haman's name in reading the book of Esther? They boo. They boo so loudly that they cannot even hear his name spoken. So hopefully you aren't finding Haman too relatable. Hopefully you're not saying, well, that's something that I want to live up to. If so, then maybe you've missed the point. But if you do see an aspect or some aspects of your life that are similar, then please take some steps towards a positive change. But before we wrap up today, I'd like to steer back to our overall emphasis in looking at Esther, and that is to see God in our everyday lives. We've all had hurtful experiences in our lives. We've all had hurtful people in our lives. And as we see this vile person named Haman enters the story, 
it doesn't catch God by surprise. God has already spent decades preparing for this moment because he knew that he was coming along. God has already spent decades putting Mordecai into Esther's life, putting Esther into a position where she could make a difference. And God works that way in your life too. Things will come your way and they'll hurt and they will be destructive. And you may ask the question that we're asking in this series, where is God? But God is right there with you in those times. And nothing you've been through or nothing that you may be going through today is a surprise to God. And I'm not trying to tell you that your hurts were God's will. I'm not diminishing anything that you've been through. But here's the deal. God is greater than your hurt. Don't hold on to the hurt because that leads to bitterness. You may find yourself in a position someday to use the hurt that you're going through now to help someone else. So hold on to the story of Esther. Hold on to this series as something more for your life. Hold on to what we are learning in this book. And know that as you face the hurts you're facing, you are never facing those alone. Even though hard times come, even though situations come along, God is still working and he is using those hurts to build us into who we can be, to make us more like his son. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to be together. I thank you that you are always working in our lives to, to make a better ending and to make us more like your son. I just ask you to please just help us to put away those things that are in our lives that we know have no business, that, that are driving us far from you and far away from others. And I just ask you, God, to just please uh, comfort anybody in here who's hurting and help them to understand that you are right there with them. First in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.